Are you tired of hearing people complain about the world and ready to own the responsibility to make the world a better place? Hey, my name is Brent Simpson and welcome to this episode of Creating the Future. I believe that within each of us is a yearning to make the world a better place. So let's work together and make that desire a reality. My hope is that today's conversation inspires you as you endeavor to create the future. Hey guys, welcome back to Creating the Future, and I am so excited to be back with you today because we get to interview my friend and colleague, Pastor Daniel Norris, uh, pastors a church in Brooksville, Florida, uh, but he's also a historian of revival and loves to research and study revivals and has written a great book on this, and uh, you're going to hear some of the stories of revival today, and I think you're going to have a blast. Uh, they are inspirational when you hear these stories, and, and it gives us hope for the future as we look back on our past, and so sit back, relax and enjoy this fun conversation with Daniel Norris. So welcome to the Creating the Future podcast, uh, Daniel Norris, a friend of mine and an amazing man of God and somebody who is truly creating the future and uh, somebody who has done some really interesting uh, work, not just on the future, but looking at the past. And we know that our future always rests on the foundation of our past. And uh, you did something called the Trail of Fire. Uh, which I found really, really interesting. And, uh, and I've never actually sat with you and talked with you about it, even though that's probably what people know you from who don't know you specifically in your church or something. Uh, so talk to me about the Trail of Fire. Where did that begin and, and what was it? So, yeah, crazy um, journey that we did in 2017. Uh, I had written a book with Charisma called Trail of Fire, which that's it right there. Um, but uh, the book tells 10 stories of 10 past moves of God, and it's written into a narrative. It's not a history book, though it certainly is based in history. It, it tries to put you in the setting and what it would have been like to, you know, be camped out in the fields around Cambridge as, you know, this log cabin, you know, meeting house burst at its seams, and now you've got 3,000 people gathered around, and then it grows to 35,000, you know, by some estimates. Um, and what it would have been like to actually have been out in those fields, you know, and, and to have experienced it. Uh, I'm a firm believer that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And we love not our lives unto death. There's, there's three parts to that. So that means one third is our testimony. And one thing that we're really deficient in sharing is the testimony. So what I want to do with Trail of Fire was just tell the story of revival in the nation. Yeah. And uh, so after we get the book finished with, uh, it's 2016. Jen and I were on our way, living in Dallas, Texas at the time. We're on our way to a place called Crockett, Texas, okay. which there's nothing more Texan than Crockett. Right, and yeah. uh, as we're on our way, it's about a three-hour drive, and we're just talking. And Jenna said, you know, this would be, I wish we could do this more often, be able to travel together. And I had this idea kicking in the back of my head, and so I just kind of went for it at that moment. And so, well, I've got this crazy idea. You know, we've got the book coming out in 2017. What do you think if we do a book tour, but instead of just doing the traditional tour, let's sell everything we've got and let's move the entire family. We've got a family of five and a dog. Uh, let's move the family into a motor home and let's just circumnavigate the nation. Yeah. But like I'd heard the Lord say, I want you to tread out to the north, the south, the east, and the west like Abraham to, to go around the nation. So let's not just talk about 
you know, what God did. Let's visit the places that have been marked in this nation because this nation has been marked by amazing moves of God. Wow. I mean, there's some deep wells in this nation. You can't understand American history without understanding, you know, the historical roots of revival right. in America. And so we wanted to go to those places, but I did not want to just talk about what God did, but at the same time also talk about what he's doing. And so we wanted to not just go to the historical places, but also connect with the churches, the ministries, the prayer hubs, uh, you know, that the revival centers that are contending for a move of God in this day and see if we can't look back to the past, learn, but at the same time also connect around the nation. And so when it's all said and done, we did 50,000 miles in 2017, covered 47 states. I mean, it looks like an entire, like we truly circumnavigated the nation and uh, did it all in, in one year, and it was unbelievable. We connected with 80 churches during that time. Charisma did an entire magazine write-up on it, and so several television uh, places picked it up. It went beyond anything I ever thought. You know, it just, for me, it was just a fun year of travel and, and talking about the book, and God used it as, you know, and still continues to use it to this day. I'm, I'm blown away by it. Uh, the times that people will get the stories that we put together because on YouTube you can go on and you can actually see the sites that we were at, the interviews that we did. And some of them continue to circulate, you know, and the story is still being told. It's part of that, that record. And so it's been a lot of fun. And yeah, if, if anyone's interested in just kind of like looking back at that, uh, there's a website called trellofire.org okay. and uh, it tells that whole story. And you did uh, a lot of YouTube videos in the places you went to, right? We did. In fact, uh, I mean, several, yeah, the other day um, I was in a, a meeting at our church and all of a sudden I get a text message uh, from one of the pastors at Bethel in Redding, California. And he took a snapshot and he's showing us at, in front of the Azusa Street sign. Right. You know, Azusa Street's where we get our Pentecostal roots out of. And the building no longer exists, but the spot we went there and we told the story of the Azusa Street Revival, and they were sharing that story. They had it up on their, their big screen. They're showing it, and I'm blown away because here I am, you know, here in Florida working on just, you know, church stuff, and that video is still speaking, and it's, it's touching a great church out there in California. And afterwards, he sends me a picture. Everybody's on their face. They're crying out to God. They're asking for a move of God, which we need. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's actually uh, uh, not long after I met you. I was looking on YouTube for different things, and I stumbled across – uh, your Azusa Street video. And I'm like, that's so funny because I know him. <laughs> and yeah. with our church as we were doing a revival um, uh, uh, fasting type initiative and, and shared it with them to encourage them. I thought that was pretty cool. It was a fun year. And, uh, you know, I, we, this year, the last two years, we've been working with a church, you know, that we've, we've come on and, and the senior pastor of. It's a, a place that has a heartbeat for a move of God. But, um, at the same time, I'm also beginning to say, okay, God, there's, there's still some more room, you know, to be able to go out and continue to tell the stories. And so who knows where that might grow to beyond here, but I'm thankful, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting day that we live in because you and I are able to produce, you know, uh, content, share messages that aren't just in a moment, but they live indefinitely. Yeah. And, you know, at this moment, as you and I are speaking, there's messages that we've preached, there's things that have gone online, yeah. and those things are still communicating at this moment. You know, we're doing other things, and at the same time, those messages are still preaching. It's, it's part of the record. And so it's just, it's a fascinating time that we live in. Yeah, absolutely. So in the book, what are, what are a couple of uh, your favorite stories of revival? In the oh, there's uh, quite a few that are in there. That they're, they're, what I did is I picked 10 of my favorites. Mm-hmm. 
And so um, probably if I were to have to, you know, whittle down and just say what's one of them for certain, it would have to be the Hebrides revival. Um, Hebrides is uh, a move of God that I really love. I've studied a lot, but the center of that was an evangelist. His name was Duncan Campbell. Mm -hmm. And um, there's this, this little island uh, called uh, Lewis in this chain of islands called the Hebrides that's just off the coast of um, Ireland. And um, what, what took place during this move of God was um, you had this small church in a little town called Barov. And at one point in time, you know, probably had several hundred members, but it had really declined in its attendance. There were no young people whatsoever that were a part of the church. And you had two sisters, an 86-year-old blind sister, she blinded by old age. Uh, her name was Peggy. And then her younger sister, Christine, of just two years younger, who had arthritis. And uh, these two sisters that had such a heart to see God move in their church that they had grown up and they'd seen it in its height. And now, you know, they'd seen it in its decline. And so they just began to pray. They took two nights out of the week and they would pray and they would ask God to move. And one night as they're praying, Christine is the younger sister. She turns to Isaiah 44 verse three. that says, I'll pour out my spirit on dry ground. And something about that just quickens in her spirit. And so she chooses to take that and make that part of her prayer. She shares it with Peggy, Peggy, you know, uh, says that's a word from the Lord. And so she begins praying into it. She gets a vision. Come on, get this. A blind, a blind woman gets a vision and she sees the church completely filled with people. Wall to wall. Couldn't put another soul in there. There were young people and old people. And at the center was this man that she had no clue who he was. But she saw him in perfect detail. So the next day she calls the pastor of the church. They share how they've been praying, you know, twice a week you know, all through the night asking for revival and the pastor, they, they share the, the vision and the pastor says, you're hearing from God. And, um, you know, she, she says, I think you should follow us in this prayer pursuit. And so he calls all the elders together, the church, and they move to a barn that's right next to the church, gather around an old coal stove, and they just begin praying through the night in the dirt and the sawdust. And uh, one night as they're praying, this group of elders, uh, one man, you know, he, he stands up and he reads from uh, Psalms, you know, it says, you know, who may ascend the hill of the Lord, who may stand on his holy mount, see his clean hands and a pure heart, to not lift up his soul to an idol. And he looks at the men and he says this, he says, brothers, it's awful hypocritical of us to be praying for revival when we ourselves do not have clean hands and pure hearts. And he lifts up his hands to heaven and he says, God, do I have a clean heart? Do I have a pure heart? And he's hit by the power of God. And when he is, he falls into what they call a trance. He's just, you know, there on the ground. And at that moment, as they're looking at that, the Spirit of God descends in that room and all these men fall on their knees and begin confessing their sins to one another, repentance breaking out. Of that prayer meeting moved into the next day and the entire city, the town is just swept up with everybody, their mind being caught up on God. They're repenting. They want to go to church. And so this move is beginning to take place. Peggy, she gets really excited about what she's hearing. And so she tells the pastor, the man I saw in the vision, we've got to find him. And so she describes him. The pastor believes it to be an evangelist. His name is Duncan Campbell. And uh, they send a letter to Duncan by way of one of the elders. And whenever he gets the letter, you know, he's like, listen, I'm, I'm booked for the next year. I can't come. And uh, he said, I can't come for maybe, maybe six months. And uh, the man looks at Duncan in this conference that he's at. And he says, that's what man says. God says otherwise. And Duncan's schedule got cleared. Right. And he shows up on the, on the island. Um, of Lewis there. It's, it's in December. He shows up 
And whenever he gets off the boat, the pastor comes to him to pick him up. It's about nine o'clock at night. And uh, he reaches out his hand to grab him, looks Duncan Campbell square in the eye and says, do you walk with God? And Campbell had never been greeted this way before. And he says to him, well, I fear God. And the pastor looks him up and down and says, that'll do. And so they get in their vehicle and they're driving to the church, about an hour drive. So it's going to be about 10 o'clock by the time that they arrive to the church. And the pastor says to Campbell, he says, I have to imagine you're tired. You've traveled all day. He says, but we have a group of people that's been praying at the church. And uh, I would love to just stop in and you greet them real quick. And then we'll get you to the house, get you something to eat. And so Campbell said yes to it. So it's 10 o'clock that he arrives at the church and he greets everybody. He spends about an hour. He's not preaching. Wasn't anything scheduled at that moment. It was just very impromptu. And as Campbell is leaving, he's walking down the center aisle of this church. And that same man who had prayed that night before, or the several nights before in that prayer meeting, he stands up, stops Campbell in his tracks. He throws up his hands to heaven. And he says, God, you promised that you would pour out your spirit. And he's hit by the power of God. Again, he falls to the ground in a trance. And Campbell, I mean, he's, um, you can actually find messages of, of Duncan Campbell where he's very critical of charismatic Pentecostal movement. But here he's got no explanation for what's taking place. I mean, he, he can't wrap his, his brain around this. And at that moment, it's 11 o'clock at night, the doors of the church swing wide open. And a blacksmith in town, he steps in and he says, where's the minister at? And the pastor and Campbell come to the back door. There's 600 people outside the doors of the church asking if they can come in at 11 o'clock at night. Um, this, this was the night that revival just breaks out in this church. And uh, half of them were young people, about 300 that were at a dance at uh, the local school. They were partying, drinking. It was a worldly environment. But all of a sudden, the Spirit of God sweeps in there. They're gripped with conviction. Nobody wants to be there. And they step outside and they see the lights on at the church. And so they start moving in that direction. The rest of them, people in the town that woke up feeling like something's going on. And so they step outside and they see people headed towards the church. They see the lights on at the church. And so they, they head in that direction, 600 total. There's 300 that was inside for the prayer meeting. And so now you've got 900 people that are crammed into this, this, this church. And Duncan Campbell, I mean, he's, he wasn't planning on doing anything, but he's like, okay, God's moving. And so he's working his way through this crowd to try and get back to the front of the church. And as he does, uh, he's, there's a school teacher that she's at the altar and she's beating the steps of the altar. And she's crying out saying, mercy, mercy, mercy. Is there still mercy for me, Jesus? And Campbell realized, I don't need to preach. God's already given the altar call. And so all he did was facilitate that meeting for the next, you know, several hours. It lasted all through the night. It's about four o'clock in the morning when Campbell realizes, you know what, I'm not needed at this. And so he just, he slips out. But that revival lasted um, on that island for three years. It swept through all of the chain of the Hebrides. It flipped the culture upside down. It rewrote Duncan Campbell's understanding of revival. And the thing that I love about it is you can't find that a man marketed it. You can't find that a man manipulated it. You know, there's, there's no clever messaging to it. You know, we, we all kind of get these ideas of what, if we do this, we'll get a move of God. And the deal is here is that you simply have two sisters, two older sisters that many people would have said, Hey, you know what? There's, there's not much left that they can do in the church, but they prayed and they prayed in that move of God. And anytime anyone would ever ask about that revival, Campbell would let them know. I didn't bring revival to that island. That island 
was already burning in revival because of the prayers of those two sisters. Yeah. So good. So good. That's so good. Uh, definitely one of my favorites. Um, you know, uh, the, um, um, the first great awakening in America yeah. uh, with, you know, Jonathan Edwards preaching sinners in the hands of an angry God. Um, I actually have a, a copy of, uh, of old, I mean, it's probably a 180 year old copy of that message that Jonathan Edwards preached. And uh, he, he comes to this church in Enfield, Connecticut. And, uh, you know, at that point in time, you know, America has gotten away from, you know, its, its roots. It's, it's not even a nation yet. And um, Jonathan Edwards comes into this town that, you know, as, as revival has just been kind of beginning to break out all around in these colonies. So George Whitfield had started at the top of the nation. He'd worked his way all the way down. And so, you know, there's fires of revival breaking out, but there's this one particular town that, you know, it's been resistant. And Edwards comes into this church that they've been at all week long. Their, their pattern was this, like Edwards was a local preacher. And so he would preach at his church and then he would travel around and preach in other churches, you know, two or three times a day. And uh, they'd been coming to Enfield. What's that? He was considered the greatest theologian of that time period as well. Yeah. And uh, Whitfield, huge, uh, you know, a fan of Edwards. In fact, they'd, they'd wanted to connect with each other. And so um, Edwards was with Whitfield when Whitfield was there, was mightily touched by, you know, what he saw with Whitfield. And so now he's carrying on in that same pattern. And I just love that picture of the evangelist and the pastor, in a sense, working together. And um, so Whitfield, I mean, uh, Edwards, he's, he comes into this church and he's, he comes in prepared to preach a different message. But as he's going through all of his messages, he finds this one that he's only preached one other time. He preached it in his church, didn't have any effect whatsoever, but he pulls it out and just feels the hand of God on it. And he begins to deliver this message called sinners in the hands of an angry God, which is not an easy message to read or listen to. Um, You know, as he just talks about, uh, you know, man's position of being in sin and the position that's put him in before the judgment of God. And uh, many people say, you know, it's, it's a horrible message. In fact, one person who heard this message said it's the most horrible message that I've ever heard in my life. Horrible because every word of it is true. And, uh, um, you know, there's a grace side to the message, but Whitfield never got to it. And the reason is, is because people literally in that, um, you know, in that moment, they, they were putting their, their fingers into the pews of the church, feeling like the ground underneath them was giving way and they were being pulled into hell. And, uh, you know, it woke that church up and the story of what took place got spread all around. The message got printed in the newspapers uh, within just a few months. It had circled the entire globe as it's being shared. In fact, um, in my office, right back, I don't know if you can see this. I lift up my, you see this bench right behind me. Uh, that is a pew, which I think you've got one of these as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, out of uh, one of the churches that Edwards preached in as well, just as a reminder of, of that moment in history. Whitfield, I think, did as well. So did uh, David Bernard, the apostle to the Indians, they call him. Yep, yep. Such, you, again, you, you just, you can't understand America without really um, looking at our, our roots of, of revival. Um, Alex de Tocqueville, uh, you know, a um, historian from France in the first hundred years of America, he's just curious, why is, why is it America has been able to do what it did? You know, why is it 
America in 100 years accomplished so much, was so blessed, so prosperous. You know, it stood out in all the nations and all civilizations of history. And so he comes to America and he writes this, uh, that, you know, he, he thought that he might find the answer in the Constitution. He, might, he thought he might find it in the Bill of Rights. He thought he might find it in, you know, um, the ample resources of the nation. He says, but I didn't find it in any of those places. He says, it wasn't until I stepped into the churches and I heard the preachers preaching with a burning fire that I understood the secret of America's success. He said, America was great because America was good. Yeah. And as long as it continued to be godly, it would continue to be good and it would continue to be great. I love that. So the uh, the Great Awakening, I've heard it said, I don't know if this is statistically true, but they said before the first Great Awakening, it was less than 10% of Americans attended church. After the Great Awakening, it was over 90% of Americans. Yeah, I've, and I've, especially when you come into the second Great Awakening as well, yeah. um, that you uh, America exploded in spirituality after the second great awakening, which was kind of a rekindling of that first great awakening fires. It was, it's where the church planning movement was born out of. And the church is just, you know, as America is expanding, churches are going everywhere and people are building their communities and towns with the church there at the center. Well, you're talking about a time period where Christians so often, or I should say it this way, church attenders so often were doing it out of expectation and responsibility because that's what you did for those who attended, but they hadn't had a relationship with, with Christ. They hadn't had a, an encounter with Christ. And so now right. it's in the revival flames to a, a church that's just assembling. And right. And you see this, this great awakening start happening. And I personally am a believer that uh, John Wesley's second work of grace was just salvation. Yes. <laughs> You're dealing with people that are already in church. They get saved and they're going, oh, there's something more than church attendance. Absolutely. In fact, that's, that's Wesley's, that, that's Wesley's testimony. You know, he, he came over to America and as he said, he said, I came to save the Indians, but who will save me? And right. it was, you know, in a storm at sea where he's watching the Moravians who in the midst of this storm, as he's afraid for his life, they're just sitting there in perfect peace, worshiping the Lord. Right. And he's wondering what is it about them and their walk with the Lord that I don't have. Right. And so he, he leaves America feeling like, man, I was a failure. Right. And uh, on that you know, trip back to England, he gets saved. He said there was a strange, I believe he wrote it, it was a strange warming of my heart or strange warming of my soul. And uh, from that, um, you know, here you have this man who understood theology. He understood, you know, scripture. Uh, He understood discipline. He had grown up in a very disciplined house. But the moment that true relationship touched his life, he was a man on fire and he changed, you know, England. There's a book, you can find it. It's called England Before and After the Wesleys. And it talks about the difference that Wesley made right. and that, you know, as, as Methodism just swept through the churches and, you know, Wesley would say the secret was the fire. You know, I come set myself on fire and people come to watch me burn. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. That's so good. All right. So in your, uh, in your trail of fire that you did around the United States, you had a lot of stops, as you mentioned before, uh, anything unique happened during that trail and that, that drive? I mean, I'm sure there's lots of stuff, but anything that stands out in this moment? We had some incredible divine appointments, yeah. you know, on that trip. And it really was supernatural. I was always blown away as, as God would connect the dots. You know, when we started, we had a plan from like January to March and no idea what would happen after that. <laughs> and uh, no idea if we could even finish it. You know, I didn't know if I'd get to California and couldn't pay for gas to get back. Mm-hmm. Um, but God was so sovereign. 
And uh, so many, you know, there was this one moment we were in uh, Oklahoma and we were on our way to a place called Okmulgee, Oklahoma. And you have to imagine there's nothing that sounds more, more Oklahoma than that. <laughs> and as we're on our way there, I pass a state penitentiary and there's a sign right outside. You've probably seen something like this before that says, don't pick up hitchhikers. Uh, they could be escaping inmates. And I just thought it was hilarious. I, I stopped and I took a picture of the sign. You know, I'm like, okay, this, you know, Oklahoma must feel like I've got to make sure that there's people that know that it's not a good idea to pitch up, you know, pick up hitchhikers outside of a prison in an orange jumpsuit. Um, so it was funny to me. And then at the same time, I'm thinking it must be enough of a problem that it warranted a sign at the same time. So I took that picture and commented on it in a pastor in Oklahoma who'd been following our story, he messages me. And in that, um, as you know, I just kind of felt something else. So I, I contact him right back. And the next day um, I'm with him. He's in um, Ada, Oklahoma, and his church is built on the site where Oral Roberts was healed of tuberculosis as a teenager. Wow. The start of Oral Roberts' ministry starts right here. The story that no one has ever heard. And so um, it was great. We, we showed up and uh, wasn't able to minister at his church because we had to get to the next thing that we were, we were headed to. But he and I did an interview together. He has a letter from Oral that actually retells the entire story to validate of what had taken place right there. But Oral, um, I think he's 16 years old and he's on the final moments of death uh, with tuberculosis. And his brother has been working in a mill. He comes past this tent where a, a preacher has been preaching a revival for a while. And he just feels like, you know what, if I could get Oral to come, that Oral would get healed. And so he borrows a vehicle and scrounges up enough money for gas for it. And they put Oral in the back of the car. And Oral says that he wasn't even sure if he was going to make it to the meeting. You know, that's how, how sick he felt. He thought he was going to die. And they come to the meeting and the evangelist knows that you know this this kid's there is suffering with tuberculosis mm -hmm. and the evangelist you know that night um waited to the very end of the service praying for everybody never laid hands on oral until the very last person and he told him over and over again he said i'm going to pray for you i'm going to pray for you i'm going to pray for you but the very last person he prays for is oral roberts and oral feels the the power of god come over him and the life come back into him and uh, strength enters into him. And then the evangelist gives him the microphone. And that night he preaches his very first message. Wow. And so not only is he healed, but his healing ministry begins right there at this particular place. Wow. And, uh, you know, I even think through for where America's at at this moment that, um, you know, there's, there's those of us that, that, that feel wonder, you know, God, what's going on? Mm -hmm. What's taking place right now? You know, where do I fit? Um, some, some people feel like, you know, maybe they've wasted a lifetime of opportunity, you know, and, uh, that there's, there's not much else left there. Uh, the thing that I love about the story of oral is that when it was at its very end, mm -hmm. that's when God showed up yeah. and did something that, you know, it didn't just reset the course of that man's life, but the healing movement as a whole was right. born out of that man's ministry. And it all takes place because, you know, of a person being at the very end and putting their full trust in God. 
which isn't that a message for where we're at right now of saying we've got to see signs, wonders, and miracles manifest, people beginning to experience the power and the presence of God all over again, that church can't just be the dry, dull routines of religious expression, that it's not just attendance. I feel like all those things have been upended, that you know, all those things that have stood in the way, he's just cleared the table. And we're at a, a beautiful brand new reset, a restart. And he's saying, let's get back to the basics, letting people have relationship and encounter experience with his presence, because that's what it's all about. And we have that opportunity right now. Yeah, I love that. Well, then let me ask you this last question, and you may have just answered it a little bit. But as a person who studies revival, and you're on a, a podcast and conversation about creating the future, how does past revivals teach us something or show us something about the future of America and the future of our world in general? I think that it's key. And again, we, at the very beginning, I, I shared that, you know, um, we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our, our testimony. And we love not our lives unto death. Um, knowing the testimony is so key and so important. And we're deficient at being able to tell it. When we look back and we see what God did, it should encourage us for what he can do. You know, um, I grew up underneath a tremendous, powerful evangelist. His name was Steve Hill, who um, was the evangelist during the Brownsville Revival. Over 4 million people came through the doors of this church in Pensacola, Florida, over 150,000 documented, recorded salvations that took place in the altar. And most of that revival you can see on, and you can go into YouTube and type in Brownsville Revival and exhaust hours and hours of just watching those services. <laughs> What's that? Those baptism videos from, from Brownsville. Absolutely. I've told people, I said, if you want to have a fun night, just turn on the baptisms from the Brownsville Revival. And that is, you know, four o'clock in the morning, you'll be like, wow, what, what did I just watch? Um, but Steve, would always remind me, you know, he'd say, Daniel, he said, we don't know our history. Mm -hmm. We don't know where we come from. Yeah. You know, his, his library had 7,000 books and not a single one of them in that library was written by somebody who was alive. Wow. Steve said, I love finished accounts. He said, you can pick up any one of those books and you know that man or woman's life from the beginning to the end. Mm -hmm. And he said their, their testimony and their message and their life bore one another out. Yeah. He says, the, the message has been consistent. The message has been the same. And uh, he said, we don't know our history. You know, to, to go back and take a look at what God did, it really should remind us. And you see this throughout scripture. God is constantly, or the prophets are constantly reminding the people, remember when he delivered you out of Egypt. Remember when he split the sea. Remember when he provided for you. Remember when he did this. Remember when he did that. And the reason that, that the Lord is always saying be reminded is because we have this short-term memory. You know, we come into this present crisis and we think to ourselves, oh God, how am I going to get through this? And we forget all the parted seas. We forget all the amazing miracles and all the things that he's done up till now and wonder whether or not he's still able to do it today. My friend, he's never failed. You know, there's that song in, in the church world that we sing, he's never failed me yet. I hate that song because yet implies that it's possible. It's not. He's never failed and he never will. And so looking back reminds us of what he did. But it's not to say, let's live in the past. And I see far too many people who do that. Yeah. You know, he's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, when we look back, it reminds us of what he did, but it should empower us and embolden us to believe that if he did that, then he'll do it here. And not just that, but even more so. I don't want to relive the first great awakening. Right. 
Don't want to relive the second great awakening. I want to see the greatest awakening that this world has ever seen. And I do believe that we're on the, the foundation for that even right now, that he has prepared, he's prepared and is preparing his church to experience an unprecedented season of harvest. If he's coming back for a glorious bride, then th- that, that move of God is the one that makes her truly glorious and attractive. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, I would encourage anybody uh, to, to look back, study the moves of God and be, you know, um, reminded of what he did to let those sparks of those past moves hit your life and set you on fire and then begin to burn and believe God use me in this day and this time. I love it. I'm, I'm, you know, you and I are kindred hearts. I love revival. I love the stories of revival and Pentecostal history is actually one of my favorite things to study on my own. So Thank you so much for being with us today, Daniel. Man, you are such a blessing and a gift to the kingdom. Oh. And if people want to get to know your ministry or more, they want to buy the, the Trail of Fire book, where do they do that? So the book's available on Amazon or anywhere else that books are sold, but at the cheapest price has always been Amazon. You can buy it cheaper from Amazon than you can from me. Right. And so uh, um, Trail of Fire, just search that and it'll pop right up. Um, and then if you want to find out more about us, trailoffire.org. Um, we'll let you see some of the stories, the videos that were all captured. And also, yeah, that's where you can contact us as well. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Um, stay with me for just a second, but I will sign off for everybody else. I hope you enjoyed this. hope it inspires you to create a better future. I hope you enjoyed this conversation today, and I especially hope it added value to you. If you enjoyed it, would you do me a favor and give us a five-star rating on your podcast provider? It really helps to get the word out. And of course, if you share this content with your friends, that would be great too. And until next time, I hope you continue creating a better future. I look forward to being with you again soon.